All right. Good evening, everybody. Worship was awesome. I hope you were able to enjoy it and be a part of it. It's been a while since we've been here on a Wednesday night. And a big thank you to Elijah and Amanda. For those of you that may not be aware, Elijah and Amanda serve in student ministry. Elijah is our student pastor. And they are on uh, live every Wednesday night at 630 uh, they're on Instagram live and, uh, and so you can join them, be a part of that. Elijah also hosts a watch party through Facebook on Saturday nights at six 30 for student ministry, as well as a couple other Bible studies through zoom for both middle schools and high schools. All that information you can find on our website at tomoka.cc. So it's been a while since we've been together. And so we're going to start a new series here on Wednesday night and uh, try to drive through um, a a new book for some of you. Uh, We're going to be studying the book of Habakkuk. Um, Craig Groeschel, who's the lead pastor at Life Church in Oklahoma, uh, wrote a book called Hope in the Dark. Many of you probably are familiar with it and have read it. Um, And so uh, from that book, uh, he walks through Habakkuk, a minor prophet. And we're going to do the same thing over the next four weeks. And we're going to try to get that started uh, a little bit tonight as we get ready to head into the rest of that book. But I just want to say this, this is my first time out here doing this uh, since we've gone strictly online with everything that's gone on. It's been amazing to watch a church, our church, prove their love, their faithfulness, and their commitment to Jesus. You know, we gathered gathered in this space that's totally empty right now um, for weeks and months and years on end. And often as pastors, we wonder, right? We wonder where people are because it's hard to measure, right? It's hard to know where people are at. And then something like this comes along, like the COVID-19 pandemic, where we are now at a stay-at-home order, right? We're sheltering in place. We're social distancing, we're quarantining. And here's what we've learned over the last several weeks. You all absolutely have proven your love, your trust in the Lord Jesus and in God. You have served and you have given and you have participated at everything over the last several weeks. When so many churches were afraid about how to do this, Our team, our staff, our tech team led by Shane uh, Stanton and the rest of those uh, who work with him, both as paid staff and volunteers, they've been amazing to make sure that everything that we do online has been incredible. Our communications team um, has just been unbelievable. Kelly Holt, our new communications director, and her team have been incredible to keep the website updated and informed on a regular basis. And ultimately, you've responded. You've joined in and you've been a part of worship every weekend. You've participated in community groups. And when we made calls to your homes to see how you were doing, all you really cared about was how we were doing and how you could help. We've been so encouraged. We've been so humbled by how good you've been and just how trusting you've been. And so from me as the executive pastor at Tomoka and as a member and a partner of this church, I just want to say thank you. It's, it's just been amazing. As we get ready to, to take whatever the next step forward is to ultimately coming back together, uh, we want to prepare for that well. 
And so to do that, we're, we're going to jump back here on Wednesdays. Uh, we won't make you give tonight to a mission, but next week we'll come back with a mission uh, just like we always have for you to support and be a part of because uh, our missionaries, uh, our evangelists around the world are in desperate need in some of these areas. And so you're going to have a chance to hear some of their stories and be a part of that. So I look forward to that. So let's talk about hope in the dark. Here, was the, here were the updated numbers that I got today regarding the COVID-19. 2,594,724 confirmed cases in the world. 179,778 confirmed deaths worldwide. In the United States, 826,248 confirmed cases with 45,153 who've died from it. And the state of Florida, 27,869 confirmed cases and 884 people have died. They're overwhelming, right? The statistics, the numbers, they're staggering. I mean, we're approaching 3 million confirmed cases worldwide. We are approaching 200,000 deaths worldwide. It's, it's staggering. And all of us say the same thing, right? We all say the same thing. It's surreal, right? It's just hard to even process what's taken place in our world, right? It's been so long since I've sat down in a restaurant. I can't even fathom the concept of what that must feel like, right? Our world has changed dramatically. And the reality is that those are just numbers. The stories behind the numbers are staggering, right? People are living in fear. And even though we've gotten into a rhythm of learning how to shelter in place, there's fear all over the world because we're not certain as a country. We're not certain as a state. We're not even certain as a county about how we're supposed to move forward when we, our numbers go up and then they go down and they go up and we don't know, we don't know who to trust, who to believe. People in the state of Florida happen to be part of a state that's the worst in the United States at filling unemployment claims. So tens of thousands of people are going without paychecks, without any reimbursement from the government, and bills have to be paid. And so there's fear and there's panic. And here's the thing about fear and panic. We all possess it, right? Fear and panic is something that all of us possess. Courage is not the absence of fear. Right? There's no person on the earth that doesn't deal with fear. And here's why. We've dealt with it from the beginning. Because here's what we've learned, all of us, from the beginning. Things end. I mean, how many of you came from a broken home where mom and dad didn't stay together and a relationship ended? Right? How many of you were made promises by that girl in third grade when she sent the letter back and said, check yes, I like you, and she did, and the next day you saw her with somebody else? Right? How many of us have gone through jobs and we've had those jobs end or we've gotten fired? Right? How many people have we known and watched over the years succumb to an illness and pass away? Because here's what we learn as we're nurtured through life along the way. We're, we, we're taught that everything in life is finite. Restaurants have closing times. Right? The most frustrating part about the shelter in place order for me is the steak and shake isn't open 24 hours anymore and Taco Bell, Taco Bell closes early. Those are problems for me, right? 
Because at the end of the day, we are taught through nurturing that our nature is incredibly finite. And when you and I learn that life in relationships and money and jobs, right, and ultimately in living, that we become finite beings, fear becomes a natural part of the process. Because listen, if you get a job, because historically you know that people get fired and maybe you've even been fired, if somebody hires you, how do you not have fear that this won't last? And if you start a new relationship, what keeps you from being afraid that that relationship won't end? Because you've had relationships end. You've had people dump you, break up with you. You've watched your parents divorce. So here's what we learn. We are nurtured. We are nurtured to have fear within us because we are finite beings who have historically seen finite endings. And in the middle of that comes the coronavirus. And almost 3 million people have been diagnosed with it, with almost 200,000 people dying from it. That's worldwide. But locally, we had almost 1,000 people die in Volusia County. Confirmed death because of coronavirus. And here's what we know. We're finite beings who die. My mom died. My son died. My best friend died. My grandma died. My grandpa died. My brother died. My sister died. We know that people die, including us. And in a county where a thousand people, nearly a thousand people have died from the COVID virus that's killed nearly 200,000 people worldwide, we get afraid. Our job says you, we don't have any work for you. You're furloughed or you're fired. Okay, I can file unemployment. Well, hardly anybody we know is getting it because the state's not done a very good job of it. And so there's no paycheck. And so fear escalates and escalates and escalates. And there's the problem. Without something to balance it out, it's a runaway freight train. And many of you are living that right now or you're living with somebody who feels that way. Because if you don't counterbalance the fear on one side of the scale, it will destroy after it runs your life into the ground. And every person, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, that's just a person thing. If there's no balance... If there's not something on the other side of the scale, fear dominates our existence, right? And we always ask the question, well, what if? Well, what if this happens? Well, what if that happens? Well, here's the problem, right? There's no answer to those things because if fear's driving the boat, you already have your answer. The very question tells you that fear's leading the way. But as a Christian, we have a couple challenges because in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, here's what the apostle Paul wrote. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, for we live by faith and not by sight, right? It said, it said this way in Hebrews eleven six. the writer says, and without faith, let's read it again. And without faith, everybody say without, without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So here's the challenge. We listen by nature, by nature, we're people who are afraid. And so it makes no sense. Listen, just a side note. It makes no sense to tell people don't be afraid, right? It's inherent within us, but we're also commanded through scripture to walk by faith and not by sight. Because listen, if we use sight today in what we're seeing, how are you ever going to not be afraid? And the most often commanded Words by Jesus were fear not. 
Fear not. And so how do we, listen, how do we learn how to live by faith? Because it pleases God when there is so much in the world that has taught us and nurtured us to live in fear. That's what I want to talk about a little bit tonight as we drive forward to this Hope in the Dark series. Let's go all the way back to the beginning. Genesis 3 and verse 15, right? Listen, this is the most significant verse in Scripture to understand Scripture. Because this book, this book that we call the Holy Bible, is a story. And it's not our story. You didn't write it. I didn't write it. It's not my story. This is God's story. And what's it about? It's about this verse right here. Because at some point in time, somebody else wanted to be God. Satan decided, as Joe mentioned this weekend, in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28... Satan decided in his position and his stamp of perfection that he wanted some of the glory and adoration that God had. So what did he do? He tried to overthrow God. He tried to enact a coup in heaven and a third of the angels in Lucifer got kicked out. Here's the problem. Satan wasn't done trying to be God. He still wanted to be God. And so he corrupted God's creation in his image By tempting Eve with this fruit that she in turn gave her husband. And all of a sudden, the perfect harmony between God's creation and himself was broken by this entity who wanted to be God. And so God shows up and have a conversation. And here's the conversation piece. Genesis 3.15 says this. God speaking to the devil in the garden says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman. That's friction, right? That's animosity. That's hatred. Right? I'll put that between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, and he, very specific, will crush your head and you will strike his heel. How are we supposed to be people by faith when fear is what's been nurtured in our lives from the beginning? Because as finite beings, we see endings all the time. And those endings teach us To never get too comfortable. To never trust. Because things always come to an end. And so is this the day that it ends? Is this the day my job ends? Is this the day my marriage ends? Is this the day my life ends? And yet we're commanded to walk by faith. The only way to do it is to go back to the beginning and recognize this. That the Bible is built on one thing. It's built on a promise. And the very first promise of scripture, God said this to Satan. We're going to fight. I'm calling you out. And here's what's going to happen in that fight. There's going to be a male who's going to come from this woman. And ultimately, he's going to crush you. Pretty big promise. The whole story of Scripture is seeing whether that promise is kept. And you get to Genesis 6. We don't know exactly how much time happened between the Garden of Eden and between Noah There are people who make rough guesstimates. But within a few hundred years, here's what we know happened. God said to Satan, I'm going to use a male offspring of this woman who's going to destroy you, Satan. That's a promise. And here's the thing about being God. If you make a promise and can't keep a promise, you can't be God. Because ultimately, you just become a liar. Right? Right? 
how many, how many children and spouses and how many relationships are broken because somebody wants to make a declaration of a promise and can't keep it. And the first promises are always the most important, right? So scripture is built on this promise. And here's what you read in Genesis 6, just a few hundred years into the promise. Satan has actively taken God at his word and said, listen, I'm going to get God to break this promise. And here's what it says in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5. The Lord saw, right? The one who made the promise saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth. And that every, listen to this, every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart were only evil all the time. Not just the thoughts, but the inclination of every thought was evil. And here's what the Lord said. I've regretted. I regret that I have made the human beings, listen to this, on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, remember, this is the God who promised a male offspring through Eve to destroy Satan. And Satan said, let's see, because I want to be God awful bad. And here's what it says. The Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth, the human race, the entire human race I have created. And with them, the animals, the birds and the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I have made them. That's how serious the fight was. So God promised, I'm going to, I'm going to crush you, Satan. I'm going to use a human being from this woman who's going to destroy you. And within a few hundred years, God says, I regret I've made all of you. I'm wiping all of you out. And if God had kept his word to wipe them out, he couldn't have kept his promise in Genesis 3.15. But he did. Because the very next verse in Genesis chapter 8, chapter 6, verse 8 says this. But Noah found favor, or in the Hebrew, grace, in the eyes of the Lord. And there are story after story of people like Noah in Scripture who God used to keep his promise alive to bring Jesus about. And so we get to Jesus, and he's the walking, talking, breathing element of that promise. And if you want to find humor in Scripture, man, when you realize that Jesus is the guy that God was talking about in the garden, when you realize he's the man that God's talking about, and then he shows up, right, and comes face to face with the devil, you can find some comedy in how that works out, but that's not the point here. Remember, the point is this. We're nurtured as people of fear. Things in. Some of you, the first memory you have of your family is your dad leaving. Or your mom leaving, or your dad dying, or your mom dying, or somebody leaving, or a person leaving their job, and you had to move, and you had to move, and you moved multiple times because you couldn't keep the rent paid. For some of you, the nurturing of fear began so early, it's all you know. And for some of you, you, you didn't experience it all as children. You didn't experience it all, and then you got to be an adult, and all of a sudden, things began to fall apart, and you began to learn late in life the power of fear because things end. And yet we're commanded to walk by faith and not by sight. We're commanded to live in faith to please God. How can we do that? We've got to have something to balance the scale. And here's what we do. We balance the scale with a God who keeps his promise. And how do we know that? Well, here's what I do. I take the very first promise of God's story. And I ask myself, did he keep it? And I find out that all the way up to the end, he did. Listen to John 19, verse 30. When he had received the drink, that's Jesus. 
He said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. John 19, 38, 42 says this. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, a follower, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Sounds to me like God couldn't keep his promise. You see, God said to Satan, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to produce a male offspring through Eve that's going to crush your head. And through all of the Old Testament prophecies, we learn and know that the man that God talked about in Genesis 3.15 was none other than Jesus. And every gospel writer and every eyewitness to the two said the same thing. Jesus didn't win. He didn't win. He died. He died on that cross. They pierced his side. Right? They took him down. They wrapped him in linens and spices and perfumes. And they put him in a brand new tomb. Game over. Promise made, promise not kept. God's a liar. And we're in trouble because fear has nothing to balance it out. You see, that's the problem. It didn't end that way. You see, Jesus' body was laid in the tomb, but we later learn in Scripture from the Apostle Paul that Jesus was incredibly busy in his spirit as his body laid in the tomb making declaration according to Ephesians chapter 4 of his powerful, his power over death and through the resurrection. And here's what we read from the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Here's what he said, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. And then how about this verse from 1 Corinthians 15, 54 through 57. When the perishable, right? When the finite, when the thing that ends has been clothed with something that's imperishable, that's totally not finite, that's infinite. And the mortal, right? That finite again with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up, erased in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, here's the problem. Satan didn't win. Because after three days of lying in a tomb, dead, Jesus' body overcame the power of death. The very thing that Satan wanted and needed to make God a liar, he accomplished on the cross. And three days later, found out that his best shot, 
his best shot, which was having Jesus crucified, having Jesus killed, wasn't enough to win the fight. And so the writer of Hebrews says it this way. Hebrews 2. Since the children, that's us, have flesh and blood, right? We're, we're corruptible. We're mortal. We're finite beings who've had fear nurtured in us since the beginning. Whether our parents were positive people or not, here's what we learned, right? Fear becomes a part of our nature because at the end of the day, things come to an end. So the writer says, since children have flesh and blood, right? They're weak. They're inherent. They're inherently flawed. They're, they break down. He too, Jesus, shared in their humanity so that by his death, Listen to this. This is one of the most, this is the, this is the antithesis of Genesis 3.15. So that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. And listen to this. And free us, free those who all their lives were held in bondage or slavery by their fear of death. I don't, I don't want to get the coronavirus. I'm a, I, I don't know. If I don't know if I'm a real follower, if I'm not a real follower, I don't know. Depends on who you ask. I just know that a few days ago, I traveled up to Illinois to help my son move. And I found myself with a face mask, right? And the very first time I had to stop for fuel and go to the bathroom, I had to make a choice whether I was going to put that mask on or not. At the end of the day, I put the mask on. And every time I got out of my car, the safety of my car, I had my mask on. And I guess ultimately I had to come to terms with the fact that I don't want to get the coronavirus. I don't want to risk dying. And if I have to wash my hands a hundred times a day and sanitize my hands and practice social distancing and do this church this way and wear a mask when I go out, I guess at the end of the day, I'm going to do that because that fear is in me. I I don't know. I don't know where your fear is at tonight. I have no clue, but I know you have it. I know all of us do. And I know that that because of all the things that we've seen come to an end in our life, relationships, right? People's lives, jobs, all the things that we treasure most in the world, we've seen them come to an end. For some of you, it happened really early. And for some of you, it happened later in life. But all of us have been broken by the finite nature of this world. And because of that, we're afraid. We're afraid to trust anybody. I don't know if I trust the doctor. I don't know if I trust my wife. I don't know if I trust my husband. I don't know if I trust my, my boss. I don't, know if I, I don't know if I trust the president. I don't know if I trust anybody because I'm afraid. How do we balance the fear out to where we can live by faith and not by sight? How do we balance the, faith, the fear out so we can live by faith and please God? We're going to have something on the other side. We're going to have something else. Hebrews 6 tells us what it is says, God did this. He made a promise. Made a promise by himself. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take a hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. Because we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. What I know is, is that without hope, 
tethered to something immovable. In a world where fear dominates, Christians can't live by faith. They'll walk by sight. And here's what I build my hope on and what I hope you'll build your hope on. And that is this, that at the very beginning of this story, God made a promise. His promise was, Satan, I'm going to whoop you. I'm going to use a man to do it. And God kept that promise. Even though we see the eyewitness accounts of a man who, just, who succumbed to death on the cross and was ultimately buried. We know through the story of eyewitnesses of over 500 people that they witnessed Jesus coming alive. They saw his resurrected body. And God told us, God told us, Jesus won. He crushed Satan. He crushed the one held the power of death over us who've been in fear all of our lives. So I can take solace in this knowledge. My hope, my hope it isn't in a book. My hope it isn't, listen, here's what we've learned. Our hope ain't in a building. Our hope is in a person. It's in the person of Jesus. Jesus, the one who God said would win by defeating Satan, did so through the power of the resurrection. And so when God's word now tells me, fear not, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. Pray and I will guard your heart and mind with peace that you know nothing of. I trust those words. And every time I put that on the other side of the scale, I don't just balance my fear out. I give hope and I give faith the power to be greater than my fear. Because John said, greater is he that is in us, followers of Jesus, than he that's in the world. And so I want to, listen, I want to encourage you as we get started in the book of Habakkuk. Listen, it's three chapters. I want to encourage you to read it every week we study it. And we're going to walk through Habakkuk. We're going to walk through a human being who felt the pain of fear as he expressed in his writing. And it's not a pleasant start. But it's a great end because we are people who are not, who've not been asked to walk by faith just blindly. We have a story that tells us that the God who makes promises is a God who can keep them. And it's because that tomb is empty that we have that hope. We'll be back next week at 630. I hope you join us. Let's take a moment and just pray as we leave tonight. Father, in the name of Jesus, in the name of the one who who took up the challenge, took up the challenge to defeat Satan, to crushing, who endured such pain and such agony along the way. Not just to prove that he was a man, but because your word tells us of his great love for us. He allowed himself to be tortured. He allowed himself to be ridiculed and mocked. And he allowed himself to die. His life was not taken from him by Pontius Pilate or the Roman guards. Jesus laid his life down for us. And it looked like he lost. And yet, Father, through the power of your spirit that raised Jesus bodily from the grave and the eyewitness testimony of all of these people, 
We now have a God who doesn't just make promises. We have a God who keeps them. And because of that, we have something concrete that we can add to the other side of the scale. So that we are people who aren't just balanced. We are people who can walk by faith and not by sight. We are people who can live in faith to please you. And we are ultimately more than conquerors because of your love for us. Thank you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.